Mm-hmm. Everything is chaos this morning. Uh, one last quick announcement, which I knew I was going to miss something. Uh, one last quick announcement. Uh, the nursing home uh, reached out to me this week, asked if we were going to be buying gifts for residents again. I am planning on us doing that. Uh, I don't know how many people they got, but like every other year, we will, a week or so out, have a a basket with uh, slips of paper, and you can grab one up. If you're in the online community and you are interested in doing this, give me a heads up, and I will make sure you get a name uh, or whatever. Like We will uh, do our best to spread this around as best we can, Uh, but that uh, that is coming up here in the next few weeks, and so... You know, just put it in the back of your mind that on a Sunday morning uh, in the near future, whenever I get the list from Lisa, we will have our nursing home Christmas lists so we can buy presents for them. Sound good? All right. Uh, Let's pray. Let's dive into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I I thank thank you for all the blessings you've given us this morning. I thank you that uh, with technical problems and headaches and, and little bits of chaos and frustrations and everything else that you have blessed us with, uh, with this opportunity to be in your presence. I pray that you would take all the, the little distractions, all the little frustrations to the side and, and help, us, uh, help us just be in your presence. Help us hear from you. Help us to know you. Help us to, to just draw close to you this morning. I praise you for all the blessings you've given us. I praise you for the people who are here. Pray that you would speak through me this morning, um, that that I wouldn't get in the way of your word, that I would unpack what the scriptures have to say and and not insert my perspective or my take, um, but really just be faithful to your word. And I pray the folks who are here would hear from you and know you and be in your presence and, and that their hearts would be touched by the gospel this morning, that they would know Christ more intimately and more thoroughly and more wonderfully. Uh, than, than ever before um, by hearing the word preached today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, is everybody done with their food comas? Um, I, I will point out, did we sing, I, I was so busy this morning going this way and that, did we sing any Christmas songs? Oh. <laughs> in, in our home, we are not allowed to do Christmas stuff until the day after Thanksgiving. And my wife is adamant and aggressive on this topic. There is no give. There is no nothing. And so ideally, we would start Christmas um, earlier, actually. I like Christmas music. I Most Christmas music, I don't like Mariah Carey. I'm sorry. Was that me or the sound system? Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, I, we would start it earlier, and in fact, I considered it to be a point of joy and achievement that on the drive home from my in-law's house on Thanksgiving evening, not eve, evening, night, when we're all food coma and not quite on it, I put on a Christmas album. And my wife driving the car, half asleep, began to sing along with the Christmas songs, and I tricked her into incorporating Christmas a few hours early. Um, But her idea here is you put stuff where it belongs and you enjoy the stuff that's in front of you. You don't jump to the other thing. Everybody with me? And so now we are allowed to celebrate Christmas. 
I, I, uh, yeah, this is the first Sunday of Advent. We've historically not done candles. Um, we've talked about it different years, and we've done it different years. It's never gone over real great. And so um, we are not doing that this year. But it is the time that we would start Christmas. And Christmas is supposed to be a time of celebrating, joy, fun. We buy gifts. We remember that God came down and was one of us. Like we couldn't climb the mountain to reach him, so he came to our level. And that is awesome. And it is wonderful. We we pray to the sweet baby Jesus, all nine pounds, four ounces of him in the manger. And all that, I mean, like, this is the time we get to celebrate it. And it is a blessing and a wonderful thing. Um, the big thing that we're going to talk about this morning is this idea that this is not a time to diet, right? I have a cholesterol check, or I have a, a body, like a general workup here in like three weeks, and I'm on cholesterol meds right now. I'm trying really hard to get off them, and I have to like really dig in. And there's a part of me that's looking and saying, how on earth, I have bought 80 pounds of band candy now that's going to show up in my house in the coming weeks, and there's carrot cake, which I was supposed to give the last piece up to Terry, but I left it at home, and I'll probably eat it when I get there. Uh, sorry, Terry. Uh, all of this other stuff, there's all of this Christmas stuff, and it is just, man, this is the time to get fat and enjoy yourselves, right? No amen? Um, we are spending the month celebrating the coming of the Son of God to save us from our sins, and it is a time to celebrate, and a time to celebrate that. I, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about things that fit and things that don't fit into Christmas, and I, I was thinking about people like, uh, I was thinking about Charlie Brown, honestly. Charlie Brown spent Christmas depressed. I'm in trouble. She came all the way up here. Uh, Charlie Brown spent Christmas depressed because nobody was focusing on what it was about, ultimately. Like, they were too busy doing all the commercial stuff and presents and, you know, everything else. And ultimately, like, that's not the point of Christmas. It's a fun part of Christmas, but we're here to celebrate the birth of God's Son. And so as we dive into our text today, we're actually continuing in Mark because um, I didn't plan it this way, but it fits like a glove. Uh, it fits perfectly to what we're talking about um, that we are here to celebrate. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about this idea that this is preparation for the coming of God. Peace between... Wow, did it happen again? I feel very echoey and feedbacky now, and I don't like that. All right. A little background. Uh, we are reading Mark's Gospel, right? Mark's Gospel is Peter's Gospel. Mark uh, basically took Peter's... Um, messages and sermons and story and put them to paper. Um, there is some ancient, like, early church father documentation of their interactions um, and, and Peter's approval of this particular gospel. But what we're reading is Peter's point of view. And it is a really cool book. It is the shortest of the gospels. Despite the fact that it's the shortest one, it's got an awful lot of stuff under the surface because Peter just sort of assumes certain things about the audience. And so as you read it, it's got interesting dynamics, but it's also got a lot of Jewish stuff that's about about an inch below the surface to and then it extends about 75 feet down. Got it? So there's cool stuff here. We talked about the um the man who was paralyzed, right? Jesus forgave his sins and then healed him. And then we talked about Matthew and the calling of Matthew like the dreaded 
horrible Matthew who was wicked because he was a tax collector and everybody hated him. And then we talked about Jesus eating at his house to declare that God had made him okay. By the way, it was a perfect fit for Thanksgiving, wasn't it? I did not plan that at all. I didn't plan any of this. It's all falling into place as though it was meant to be. Um, and then the next passage here. So we get done, like the Pharisees and, and these other guys are looking at Jesus eating with, with Matthew. And Jesus says, I came for the sick, right? They need a doctor. The healthy are fine. I didn't come for the people who have all their act together. I came for the lost. I came for the broken. I came for the messed up folks. And so um, that is where we're at. Like we're picking up in this next little story. Um, it's unclear as to whether or not they're connected together intentionally. I kind of think there's something there. I've talked to other guys who said there is not. Um, scholars are sort of divided on it. There'll be more on that in the deep dive if you're interested in some of the, the nuts and bolts and the, the big heavy material related to that Wednesday morning 8. We'll talk about that. Um, real quick, feasting and fasting in ancient Judaism. The Jewish people were all about the food. Got it? And they were awesome about it. With their restricted diet, no shrimp, no this, no that, they still managed to eat great and to turn meals into a whole occasion. And they turned fasting into a whole thing. And like fasting was a big public display in the ancient world, which Jesus taught against. And like there was regular days of the week you were supposed to fast and all of these other things. And there were days of the week you were supposed to feast. And there were like Sabbaths. You could not cook a meal. But you were supposed to have an enormous banquet and people would get together and it was this big, wonderful experience, which is awesome. Um, except it was also leftovers, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. That's a rabbit trail. I'm not going to go down. Finally, last thing. There is this thing called the gloss. This is a technical term, right? Uh, when you put gloss over something, you're basically throwing layers of junk on top of it, right? Everybody with me? During the time between the destruction of the temple and the rebuilding of the temple in ancient Israel, there was this whole long stretch where they had to figure out how to be Jews without a temple. And so they, like, messed with the law and discussed it, and they said, well, wait a minute. How do you not work on the Sabbath? What does that mean? Does it mean you can't make your bed? And unanimously they agreed, don't make your bed on the Sabbath. When? Um, and, like, well, can I walk across the street? Yeah, but not... Three blocks over, that's work. Got it? The gloss is all of the additions. It's everything that the teachers and the rabbis and different people added on. And a lot of the stuff that Jesus conflicts with the Pharisees over is gloss. It's just additions. It is, well, you know, what is, uh, well, I'm, y'all get the idea, right? Um, so the gloss is going to be a part of the conversation today because there is a piece of argument that's about to happen that is not based on any scriptural command in in like ancient Judaism, like or in the Old Testament. It's not there. So we're going to dive into Mark with about 10 minutes of background. Everybody's still awake, right? Got it. Um, and, and we're ready to celebrate, right? Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And it paused there real quick. Um, how did they know they were fasting? Because they put on a big show so everybody knew they were fasting. Everybody with me? Um, it's like when somebody does a good deed for their neighbor and they make sure that everybody on the block knows it. Or when somebody is having a hard time, like I, I you know, they, they feel like when men get colds. 
um, we're not actually dying, but it does feel like it. And I'm sure the science hasn't caught up yet that men's colds are worse, but based on the science, they're not. Like, we just put on a bigger display. Um, I, I, sorry, guys. I, I, I'll cut up my man card later. Um, but, but they would put on this whole, I'm suffering. And so, like, when the Pharisees would fast, they would, like, put dirt on their face. And they would wear dirty clothes and they would, oh, I'm so hungry. And it was so dramatic. Uh, and, and that was what was, like, that's what they would do. Like, they would put on this big display and everybody knew they were fasting. And so these guys are fasting. And people came and said to him, why did John's disciples um, and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. So, real quick before we get much further on this. Let's see if my slide's going to, yay. Um, so fasting in ancient Judaism, real quick overview, because some of this stuff is really interesting. There were different purposes that people would fast in the Old Testament and in the New. They would fast because they were repenting, right? Like if you, I don't know, stole your neighbor's wife and killed her husband to cover up the fact that you got her pregnant, just to pick in, you know, a guess out of the blue, David fasts and prays for God to show mercy to his child, like to, to Bathsheba's child, right? Like, or on the Day of Atonement, which we talked about a month ago, uh, they would fast as they repented. They would think about their sins. They would reflect on their sins. They would pray and seek forgiveness from God, and they would fast. And that was a whole part of the equation. Now, in the middle there somewhere, between the destruction of the temple and the building, of the gloss happens. And they add fasting several days a week. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, People would fast when they sought God's intervention. God, please help me in this area. And you would fast and pray and, like, seek God's attention. Um, when you were mourning, if somebody died or if you were upset about something, you would fast and pray. Uh, Nehemiah, when he found out that Israel or that Jerusalem didn't have walls anymore and that basically his, his capital city, his hometown was a disgrace, he was so upset he fasted and prayed for days Looking for God, like, like, God, how could this happen? How could my city be wrecked like this? Um, and that, that was a thing that people did. They fasted as a way of pursuing God in their emotional turmoil. If you had a family member that died, there were fasting requirements for it. Kind of weird, right? Um, and finally, like, ultimately, all of these things were all about seeking God. You would fast as a way of stepping away from the things of this world to focus on God. Got it? And like part of that is the flesh versus the spirit. There's always this struggle inside of us. I, uh, I struggle with my, my children will get candy or cookies. I'm trying to be a good example by not stealing from them. However, there's this part of me that desires to eat whatever it is my children have, even if I don't want it. Right? And I struggle inwardly. That is my flesh struggling with the rest of me. There are all kinds of other ways that we struggle in this regard. But like when we fast, we're putting away the flesh and we're focusing on God. And that hunger is supposed to remind us, you know, oh, wow, I need to hunger and thirst after righteousness, not after food. I need to hunger and thirst after the things that are of God, not after the things of this world. And the idea is you put to death your flesh and you focus on God. And that's really what fasting is almost always about in the scriptures. Like people fast because they're pursuing God. They want to be close to him. Now, in the middle there somewhere, fasting became a thing you did to score points. The Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Got it? Mondays and Thursdays, they would fast. Why? 
I have no idea. But it was a religious observance. Everybody knew they were doing it. And they knew the Pharisees were super holy because they were fasting. Is what it is. John's disciples were fasting. I don't know. There's a couple of potential reasons for this. Um, It's not clear in this setting. Uh, They may have been fasting because John preached about repentance all the time. And he was all about repentance. And everybody's like constantly looking at their sins and repenting and fasting and stuff like that. The other possibility is around here is where John goes to jail. And not long after that, he gets his hat size changed. Um, Like he gets his head cut off. And they're like probably fasting and praying because John's in jail. Right? And they're like scared and they're worried and they're praying for him and they're fasting at the same time. Ultimately, though, it's about seeking God is what it's supposed to be. In this setting, it has nothing to do with seeking God. It does sort of to some degree because the Pharisees are saying, I'm fasting to seek God, to be devoted to God. But they're also doing it so everybody knows how holy they are. Right? Oh, look at how good I am. Um, They're doing it as a ritual. Every week I'll do it this day and this day. Because that is this holy thing I'll do. And it has less to do with having a relationship with God and more to do with outward appearance or earning your way to heaven or what have you. Um, It's less about relationship. But fasting is always supposed to be about relationship. Um, All right, jumping ahead. Mark 2.19. And Jesus said to them, can wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, hit pause here. There is a time and a place for everything. You do not play Christmas music on Thanksgiving. Why? Because it's the day we're saying thank you to God for the blessings that we get in our food and everything else, like for our families and all this other stuff. Christmas music is for the next day or the drive home. Um, to put this in a slightly different perspective. Did anybody see the movie The Wedding Singer? Man, I love that movie. It's one of the rare romantic comedies that is not, like, cringeworthy, right? And there is probably my favorite scene in this movie. Um, Adam Sandler is, like, this wedding singer, and his fiance leaves him at the altar. And he's singing a wedding And he is depressed, and he's unshaven, and he's all slovenly, and all he sings is sad songs. And then he gets up, and he sings one of the greatest love songs ever by the Jay Giles Band. What is it? No one knows. Love stinks. And he (laughs) does this whole speech about how horrible love is and how his life is all awful. And the father of the bride gets up and beats him up, basically. And what he's doing in that setting is he is making it all about him. Right? It's not about him. It's about the married couple, like the couple that's getting married. But he's acting like this guy that's like, hey, it's all about me. Right? Sometimes it's other people's days. Got it? On graduation for your kids, it's their day. On your wedding day, it's your mother-in-law's day. You just got to ride with it. Um, sorry. Um, it's, but it's not your day. When it came to feasting and fasting, there were Jewish laws. They were gloss, admittedly. They were added, but they were really widely accepted. You did not fast on feast days. If it was a day where everybody was getting together and eating, you ate with them. Got it? If it was a day when, like, the religious law said you ate, you ate. 
Um, why? Because it was your job to do so. Because everybody's celebrating and you are going to celebrate with them. Um, in this instance, a wedding is cited. Weddings were incredible. I wish, I don't, I should not say that. I find weddings somewhat stressful because 90% of the time when I'm attending them, I'm standing up front. And I gotta remember everybody's name because you get a name wrong and you're in trouble forever. <laughs> And you don't get to enjoy the day at all. Oh, yeah, you think. Anyway, um, you don't get to enjoy the day. They would do these weddings that would last a week. And you would eat and you would drink and everybody would sleep. Or, like, not around. I'm sorry, that was not coming out correctly. Everybody would, like, kind of hang out together for a week. And you would have this enormous, like, party. And nobody worked. Nobody did anything. You just had a good time together. And it was awesome. Right? And what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you were at a wedding and you decided to fast, you'd be a jerk, right? You'd be Adam Sandler singing Love Stinks at a wedding. It's not okay. You'd be the guy who shows up at Thanksgiving dinner with his list of political arguments he's going to throw at the family. You know what that guy is? He's a jerk. Sorry if you're here. I didn't mean to do that to you, but you know, right? Like you're there to enjoy each other's company, to eat, to get fatter, to all of this cool stuff. And like if you make it about you or your pet cause, it's not okay. I once uh, sat through a – I didn't sit through the whole thing. I think I left. I don't remember what the context is. I'm scraping my memory for this. But years and years ago, I, I listened to a multi-level marketing training thing about how to sell your Amway product or whatever – to your family at holidays when they all get together. You, you know what that does? Convinces people not to show up because you're making it about you. Um, these guys are here and they're saying, Jesus, why aren't they fasting? And Jesus says, listen, I'm here, right? We fast to seek God. God is with you today. It's not time to fast. It is time to enjoy it. Christmas, right? I actually, my... Sermon title, I didn't change it when I picked a new direction. There's a song. Look it up on your drive home. You can listen to it on your radio because it's after Thanksgiving. Um, there's a song, Christmas is No Time to Diet. And it's all about just eating as much as you can during Christmas because you should enjoy yourself, right? As we celebrate Christmas, it is stressful, right? You watch your bank account shrink, which is happening a lot right now. And you've got to deal with making sure your house is clean, decorating, and all this other stuff. Like, there's all of these things, but it is really supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. And it's supposed to be a reminder that God himself stepped into the world for us. Like, when we think about the Christmas story, we think about the story of um, the shepherds. I know, I, like, I'm going to get grief about this for weeks because I talk about... She's not here. I get grief about shepherds because to me, shepherds are like, I, I am one of those guys. Shepherds in the ancient world were considered to be like the worst. Shepherds were not allowed to speak in, or were not allowed to testify in court. They were another group that were not, not allowed to testify in court because they assumed shepherds were liars. They are outcasts. They are really poorly thought of in first century Judaism. And they're the guys who got to show up and see Jesus' birth. 
the losers, the outcasts, the night shift at the worthless factory are the ones who got to see Jesus show up. That is amazing because I'm one of those guys. And I suspect that if we look all in our hearts deep down, we know all of us are those guys. But Christmas is the season where we remember, I'm in. Because God loves me even when I'm awful, even when I don't deserve it. And that's why we don't fast at Christmas. This is why we don't fast on Sabbath. Actually, Sabbath, you are also not allowed. Like if your spouse died on a Friday and Saturday is the Sabbath, like, by the way, Saturday is the Sabbath, not Sunday. You know, Sabbath, like Saturday, you were not allowed to mourn. You were not allowed to ritually mourn on the Sabbath. It was against the law. You had to celebrate with everyone. Um, we don't mourn. We don't suffer. We celebrate Christ. And by the way, I, I, it's funny to me. I jumped right into we don't, we don't, we don't, because like it's easy to say don't do it, right? I'm a dad. I say don't do that. In truth, it is we celebrate and we have a wonderful time. Amen, right? Christ came to die for our sins and it is beautiful and wonderful. And we don't, we don't stop. We celebrate. Um, Oh, gosh. Real quick, a couple things about wedding parties in the first century. Oh, my gosh, I could split this into two sermons if I chose to. Um, real quick, uh, weddings, first off, they lasted a week. I talked about that. Um, Jesus' first miracle took place at a party. Isn't that crazy? Like, it's not really the thing we think of. Jesus, the God himself, the point where he does his first miracle and makes it public that he is God, what does he do? He's at a party, and he turns water into wine. And there are those who will argue, oh, no, it was grape juice. And I am here to tell you, as a guy who spent way too much time drinking in my life, that nobody in the middle of a party receives the non-alcoholic beer and says, oh, boy, why didn't you bring this out first? Right? <laughs> Like, it was good wine. He, he was, you know, he, he, he was the wine, the good stuff that arrived halfway through the story. He's why we celebrate. Like, he is our relationship with God, personal, intimate, in our hearts, in our souls. And he showed up second. Um, the church is described as the bride of Christ over and over and over again. And Christ is described as the bridegroom. Like, there's this whole story about, like, the, the ten virgins who are waiting for their... By the way, people married multiple people back then because they didn't know better. Um, but, like, they're waiting for the groom to show up, and they have oil and all kinds of other stuff. And they're waiting all night for him to show up. And, and like, um, the idea is, like... Sorry, I should not have chased after that. Uh, the bride of Christ is the church. We are the bride of Christ. We, the people. And our job um, during this time that is not the wedding party is to be ready. I, I know a lot of women, I'm going to be really careful how I say this, who in advance of their wedding lose half a person, right, before taking on another one uh, they, because they want to put that dress on and they want to look amazing. And so they discipline themselves and they strive and they train and they exercise and they do all this other stuff so they can look beautiful for their groom and mainly for their pictures. Um, but they do all that stuff. And then in the days in advance, they do things like they get their nails painted, right? Because grooms notice nails. 
They get their hair done. They get, you know, all like face stuff and eyebrows. And I don't even know. I don't want to know. But they do all of that because they're trying to look beautiful for their wedding day. We now, like when we're with Christ, we'll celebrate. When Christ was there, they celebrated. Now we celebrate, but we also prepare. How do we prepare? We become like Jesus. So when we show up at our wedding day, when we show up with Christ, we look perfect. Like he's perfect. Finally, uh, the second coming. When the second coming takes place, it will be the wedding feast of the Lamb, is what it's described as. And that is why we prepare. Uh, I'm going to move along here real quick. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the arrest and the crucifixion and the time in the grave, and they'll fast then. And then actually the church, the early church fasted, after, when Christ ascended, we, you know, people have been fasting for centuries, for millennia, um, pursuing God. I've, I have fasted. I'm not, you know, but I don't think it's a way to earn your way to heaven. It's a way to know God more intimately. It's a way to overcome sin. It's a way to do all kinds of stuff. It is not a way to look awesome. Real quick, I think I can, yeah, I'll do this. A quick note on parables. We're going to get two parables here. Um, Teaching, like a parable is teaching with examples and principles that are everyday, right? Uh, so Jesus talks about cloth and patches. Why? Because that was something everybody knew about. He talked about birds and seeds. You know why? Everybody knew stuff about birds and seeds. It was not esoteric. It was not out there. It was stuff they saw every day. And so these are examples that people would have known about. Now, when it comes to parables, there's a temptation to either do too much or to do too little, where you narrow the meaning down so tight that it is just what's in the, you know, this is all it means, or we expand it and it means everything. And it is a little like pouring new wine, new wine into old wineskins. If you push it out too far, the story pops and you lose it. Got it? in advance of diving into this. Um, finally, we're going to interpret this particular parable in its original, like in the context of Jesus saying, fast and feast, right? We feast now, we'll fast later. Um, and so that's how we're going to read this. So Jesus goes on, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Real quick, there are a million weird little versions of interpreting this text. Okay? There are, and most of them are probably really valid. There's the take that that there is a time to fasting and a time for feasting, and you do what's appropriate. That's what this is saying. Why do you put new wine into new wineskins? Because, like, this is basically an animal's stomach. Okay, I know it's gross. They didn't have bottles. And you would sew it up, and the wine would go in there, and it would start to ferment, and it would expand, and there would be gases and all kinds of other stuff. And any of you guys who ate Thanksgiving dinner know what it's like to have your stomach expand and feel gassy, right? And what would happen is old wineskins would become brittle, and they would break. New wineskins would stretch the way your stomach stretched on Thanksgiving, right? That is kind of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's a time for putting wine in a wineskin, and you read the room and you do what's right. 
as we celebrate Christmas, as we prepare to remember Christ's arrival, on the days when we look at ourselves and say, I can feel Christ in me. I can see my life changing. I can see my heart is different. I know I am close to him. When we glory in forgiveness, and, and some of you all have experienced this, where you have a moment where you realize that the worst things you've done, God still loves you. Those are the moments where the wine is swelling, right? Where good things are happening. And there are times when you're going to be low. There are times when you're going to have to mourn. There are times where you're broken and you've got to fast to pursue God. Those times will happen. Um, but you put things in the context they belong in. That's what Jesus is talking about with these two parables. In the deep dive, we're going to look at some other stuff related to this, some other theories which I think are interesting but are not what he's saying. Um, new systems can't be forced into old systems. This is about, like, you know, trying to force the Jewish faith or Christianity into the Jewish faith. And Paul talks about this with the Judaizers. And there's a whole lot of this, uh, like, cool stuff related to this, but it's not what he's saying at this point. Um, you cannot apply rules to your old self. If you have not become a new person in Christ and you try to obey Christ's rules, you will ruin yourself and those rules. Everybody has known somebody like that, right? Where they just try to earn their way to heaven and be better than you. That's putting a fresh coat of paint on something dead. It will not work. And that's part of what he's saying here, like we have to be made new. Uh, it's part of what the meaning of this, not in this particular context. Uh, the rules of following Jesus cannot be forced into our old hearts is the idea. Finally, the kingdom of God cannot be contained. You cannot force God's kingdom to obey, which is cool, because if God obeyed us, he wouldn't be God. He does what he wants, how he wants, and it's amazing. Deep dive if you want to hear more about that Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Finally, what do we do with this? All right, so wineskin, patches, Christmas, how do we do this? Guys, enjoy the holiday, right? When you go out and you buy gifts, buy gifts remembering that we do that because we're remembering that God sent his son for us. Like, I remember, and I still do this sometimes, when I was a kid, I would always try to give gifts to friends early so they'd know they had to get me one. It's the social contract. I know I'm a horrible person. I don't care. I, Jesus loves me anyway. Um, we celebrate the coming of Christ in every aspect of Christmas. When we decorate, we're celebrating because we're making stuff beautiful, because we're preparing for a king to show up, right? We eat great meals because if, honestly, if Jesus were to show up at my house today, I would try to clean up a little bit while he was walking up the sidewalk, and I would try and kill the fatted calf, which I don't have. But, like, I would try to make a good meal for him because I don't want to be a bad host to Jesus. The Son of God is coming. The, the you know... The wall between God and men is about to be broken down. The chasm is about to be covered, and we're going to be acceptable to God, and it is wonderful. So if you're going to do anything this Christmas, have a good time, and have a good time in the name of Christ, right? Good advice. Don't diet. I'm going to. I'm sorry. I have to. Uh, Second is remember to celebrate the right thing. We oftentimes get sidetracked into things during Christmas, don't we? Christmas is the season of giving. Kind of is, yes, but that's a small part of it. Christmas is about eating great food, yes, but we learned this last week, right? Great meals are a way of remembering that God is with us 
like that, that we are at peace with God. We do these things because we remember, like, I'm acceptable to God now, and it is beautiful and wonderful, and I can't earn it. It is just a gift like Matthew, right? Um, it is a gift. We remember these things, and we've got to keep them at the forefront of our mind because it's easy to forget. It just is. Remember, like, even when we're mourning, by the way, even when it's time to deal with the old wineskin, like, Jesus is there. That's why when um, Paul is writing to the, I, I think it's Corinth, to the Corinthian church, and he says, listen, I know you guys are hurting because so-and-so died, but as you mourn, we don't mourn like people without hope. We're sad, we cry, we mourn, and we celebrate because we know eternity and the resurrection are there. And so we have both. Does it mean that we don't mourn? Does it mean we don't, you know, one's extreme or the other? No, we do both. But, like, in everything we do, Pluses, minuses, hurting, happy. Christ is at the middle of it. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're painting a fresh coat of paint on something that is not what it is, right? Um, I love the old DeLorean from Back to the Future. Doesn't that car look cool? It looks like it should be fast. In reality, DeLoreans could be passed by their exhaust fumes. They were so underpowered and badly designed and overweight. They were awful cars. It would take about 10 minutes for Marty to get up to 88 miles an hour in that DeLorean because they put everything in places it wasn't supposed to be and forgot to put an engine in it. If we make Christmas about like, like Jesus on the outward surface, this flashy DeLorean thing, but spiritually there's nothing there. Spiritually it's about me or it's about this or it's about that or it's about complaining or it's about... Like, we're putting a fresh coat of paint on something that doesn't matter. It is about Christ. Uh, finally, fasting and ritual fasting like Lent. These things are actually still a thing. They're important. They are not a thing we do to earn our way to heaven or because the church says we have to. They're about seeking God, about pursuing him, about knowing him, about overcoming our lostness or our tendency to overindulge or our flesh or whatever is always about that. And so, like, as we live, like, this is Advent. Lent will be coming up here in a few months. That's before Easter, before Christmas. And they're feasting and fasting times. But either way, the life we live following Christ is always that preparation for the wedding feast. It is always a preparation for the party that's coming. And so when life is awful, you look forward and you say, Jesus is coming. Remember, my wife and I went to Hawaii a few years ago for our 20th anniversary. And in the weeks preceding, it started snowing. And I had a really stressful week the week before we left and a whole bunch of other stuff. And every day, I would hit this point where I was overwhelmed by one thing or the other. And I would say, one week and I'm going to be standing on a beach. And my wife will be there and my children won't. I love you guys so much. And I will eat pineapple and whatever other weird stuff they feed me and it will be great. And it was. Heaven is coming. Eternity with Christ is coming. The wedding feast is coming. And as we gather up to celebrate Christmas, it's a reminder. It's coming. Filled with joy, longing, and anticipation, even when life is awful. And we live our lives preparing. We diet to fit into our wedding dress. Not me. Already married, you know, preparing ourselves spiritually. My challenge for you this week as we go into Christmas is enjoy it, right? Enjoy it. Celebrate Christ coming. Celebrate 
God stepping into this world and becoming one of us so that when we suffer and we say things like Job said, God, do you have, even have eyes to see the suffering? Do you even understand what I'm going through? And God responds by putting eyes in his head, stepping into the world and becoming one of us, right? It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's such a blessing. Enjoy this season. Enjoy Christmas. Buy your gifts. Decorate. Do all of this stuff. And remember, Christ is coming. It is a time for celebration. Let's pray. And I will let you go. Heavenly Father, I praise you for the blessing that is this season, for the blessing that it is to have, have knowledge that your son is coming you know, again, that we're celebrating his first arrival, um, that we, even though we're shepherds, even though we're lost, even though we're like Matthew, we have a seat at the table. Heavenly Father, I praise you for... for Praise you for this time of feasting. And I pray that you would help us to be filled with your spirit, filled with you, filled with your righteousness, in addition to the amazing food we eat at Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.